Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about it for a moment. If Jesus were here today, let's say he was in Kerwinsville on this day, where would he go? Where would he hang out with people? I want you to think about that for a moment. Would he come here? Would he go to the other churches here in town? Where, where would Jesus go? Who would he hang out with? What kind of people would he rub shoulders with? What, what would be, where would, he, where would he go? What would he do? See, a lot of times our concept of Jesus is, and I've told you already that a lot of times we have a wrong concept of Jesus. Our concept of Jesus is is that, of course, he would be here with us because we're worshiping him. Why wouldn't he show up here with us? In fact, if you are someone who is morally self-righteous, and you wouldn't know that if you are, you typically are someone who thinks that, you've got it all together and everybody else is wrong, of course you would think that Jesus would hang out with you. But the reality is, is when we're going to look at the passage, we actually may be shocked to find out that Jesus probably wouldn't hang out with us. That Jesus would hang out with people who need him. And maybe they don't even know that they need him and he hangs out with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? In fact, today we're going to look, we're going to continue on in chapter 5, Luke is really giving us a whole different perspective of who Jesus is. And today, with the calling of another disciple, with the calling of Levi, or Matthew, as you might know him, we're going to see his friendship. Who really is the ones that Jesus wants to be friends with? Who is it that Jesus is coming to reach out to? We might actually be shocked. I know I was as I was studying this passage. So I want you to notice with me, we're just going to look at six verses. We're going to, again, just a glimpse of Jesus and his interaction, but there's a lot here for you and I to grasp concerning Jesus, and hopefully we'll get a greater concept of who he is. So look with me at verse 27, and notice what it says. And after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We're going to see several things here from this passage today. First of all, we're going to see the call. We're going to see how Jesus calls Levi and the significance of that. That's a pretty significant thing. You could just read that and just let it brush on over, but there's a lot there just in verse 27 that you and I need to see, especially through verse 29. And then we're going to see the offense. We're going to see 
the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the moral self-righteous people of that day, get offended at Jesus. Because he's doing something that they can't accept here. And we're going to see that in verse 30. And then we're going to notice Jesus' mission. What does he say his purpose is in coming? So let's notice with me, first of all, the call. Look with me at verse 27. He said, And after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in the office, and he said to him, Follow me. First of all, before I give you the point, I need to explain to you the significance of Levi being a tax collector. First of all, in any culture anywhere, we don't like what? Tax collectors. Bottom line. I mean, how many of you love to get a call from the IRS? Nobody. In fact, your heart stops. You're wondering if you have a heart attack. You start sweating. Your hands get all, all moist, and you're like, oh, no, it's the IRS. The, the reality is, is that we don't like tax collectors. It was no different in Jesus' day, except it was a little bit more extreme. In Jesus' day, they were hated. They were despised. In fact, here's what's going on here, so that you understand. The issue is Rome. Rome, when it controlled different provinces, required that those provinces give a tribute to Caesar. And so what they would do is, is when they would come in and they would conquer an area or they would take over an area or they would govern an area, they would sell the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder. So if you wanted to be a tax collector and there was an opening, you basically paid for the office. You paid for the right to collect taxes. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, here's what you then, this is what you do. Rome didn't care how much you gathered, just so they got their part. And so here's what the tax collectors would do. They've made a monetary investment in being a tax collector. And here's what they would do. They would charge extra, because that's how they would get paid, they would charge extra so that they could make a living off of it. And so most tax collectors in Israel were fairly wealthy. You can see why, can't you? Because you wouldn't know what was the tax for Rome and what was the tax for this guy. And so most of them were known as being robbers, cheats, and just flat out just plain dishonest. That's what it was to be a tax collector. Now, here's another problem now. The problem is, is that it's the Jewish state. It's Israel. Where in Israel, you only acknowledge one person, God. By giving tribute to Caesar, you have to acknowledge what? That who's in control? Caesar. So they became very despised simply because of who they're working for. So they were despised. They were rejected. In fact, it goes one step further. They had no part whatsoever in the religious community of that day. You didn't see them in the synagogue. They wouldn't be accepted. You didn't see them going to the temple. They had no right there. Because basically, they were seen as being apostate. They were rejected. And that was communicated. So I want you to understand, when Jesus comes to Levi... So first of all, let me just tell you first, just so you know, there's two types of tax collectors. There's a, a chief tax collector who's over an area, and he has tax collectors under him. That's a general tax collector. Levi is a general tax collector. When we go, later on read about Zacchaeus, 
He was a chief tax collector. But what you're going to notice is they all had money, and so they were despised. So with that, let me give you my first point that I want you to see here about the call. This is the one thing I want you to see about Jesus, and that's this. He seeks out those who've been written off. Jesus seeks out those who've been written off. My friends, I want you to understand something here. This guy, Levi, basically was living an existence to himself just within his own friends. He was basically written off by the rest of culture, by the rest of society, because he was doing what was hated by everybody else, and he was doing what was considered to be treacherous. He was written off. So I want you to notice something here. Look with me at the passage. And after these things, he, who's it talking about he? Jesus went out and saw a tax collector, Levi, sitting in his tax office. Let me just stop for a moment. Don't think of it as some government building. It's probably a booth, probably a booth made out of tent or whatever. And he's probably sitting out front of his booth, basically gathering taxes from people. If there was a merchant coming with goods, he would take part of that. He was gathering taxes outside of his booth. So here's Jesus. He is actively, the passage is telling us, seeking this guy out. This guy isn't coming to Jesus. Do you understand? Jesus is going to him. Now, I can, I can already tell you why the guy's not coming to Jesus. Why? Because he's been written off. In his mind, he thinks Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with him. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus seeks after him. He goes to him and seeks after him. Isn't that wonderful? See, that's the nature of our God. God actively seeks after people whether they're liked by society or not. God wants them. He seeks out those who've been written off. That's what we see there in the call. Now, here's what he did. Notice with me. Here's what, he goes up to Levi. He goes up to Matthew. And here's what he said. Follow me. Next point I want you to see is the call is simple. Follow me. Now notice what he didn't say. Levi, get your act together. Levi, quit cheating people. Levi, quit your job. Levi, you need to start doing better than what you've been doing, boy. No, what does he say? Two little words. Follow me. See, the call is simple. Do you understand? You see how complicated we get things? You know, I've, I've been around a long time now. I've been a believer 25 years, been pastoring 15. And, and I can tell you right now that we make things a little bit complicated when it comes to Jesus. Don't you agree? And usually when we present Jesus to people, we, we complicate it. You know, we say, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus loves you. Come to him, but give up that beer drinking. Jesus loves you, come to him, but you better stop smoking. Jesus loves you, but quit listening to that music. Jesus loves you, but get a new, whole new group of friends. And, and we, we complicate things. We, we add stuff to the call, but the call is very simple, isn't it? What's the call? Follow me. Follow me. Jesus is saying, follow me. Live as he lives. Do what he says. We make it complicated. And, and I want you to notice something. The call was simple. And look with me. Look with me. Verse 28. Look, this is what it says about Levi. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. 
That day, Levi quit his job. Here, let me explain something to you. Remember we talked about this earlier, about James and John and Peter, and about them leaving fishing to follow Jesus? And so Levi is doing the same thing. He's making the same commitment. He's going to leave everything and go follow Jesus. Now, here's the problem. Let me just stop for a moment. Here's the problem. If things don't work out with Jesus, what can James, John, Peter, and Andrew do? They can do what? They can go back to fishing, can't they? Let me explain something to you about Levi when he quits his job. Guess what? His job will be put out there for what? The highest bidder. And if things don't work out with Jesus, can he just go back to being a tax collector, folks? No. Not at all. So when he quits his job and when he forsakes all, he's literally giving up everything to what? Follow Jesus. See, that's that simple. Jesus says, you know, when he says to you and I, follow me, he's wanting all of us, every single part of us. He didn't say he had to do all this stuff. He just simply said, follow me. And here's what Levi does. He does it, literally, gives it all up to follow Jesus. Now, there's something else I want you to see that's interesting. We come down to verse 29, and this, I think, is wonderful. Look at this. Then Levi gave him, that is Jesus, a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. So here's what Levi does. He's so excited that Jesus is calling to him. Because you've got to understand something. He's an outcast. He's despised. And he is thrilled that Jesus is saying to him, follow me. So he leaves it all, and guess what he does? He throws Jesus a party. It's probably, this, this is probably true, probably Matthew or Levi, whatever you want to call him here, is probably the wealthiest of the disciples. Because he has a house, and he's throwing a big banquet. I mean, it's a, it's a feed. I mean, you think our, our, I mean, you think our Christmas dinner that we have over at the Civic Center is big? This was probably bigger. It's talking about a feast here. And guess who's there? Other tax collectors. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, here he is. He's despised. Who's he hang out with anyhow? Tax collectors. People who are despised. So who are you going to invite? Tax collectors. See, this is, can I be honest with you? The worst thing you can do for someone if, if they come to know Jesus, is to tell them to give up their friends. Can I be honest with you? Worst thing you can do. Why? That's their whole social structure anyhow. Just like you want to reach them, you've got to reach the others as well. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? What we do is we reverse it. We want them to become like us. Pretty boring, isn't it? I mean, come on. You want to be like me? No. And I sure don't want to be like you. But that's what we do, isn't it? So here's what he does. Here's what's going on. It results in a desire to share Jesus with others. He's so excited about what God is doing in his life. He wants to share Jesus with others. And who's the others in his life? Other tax collectors. Other despised. And here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing. You wonder what the amazing thing is? Jesus didn't hesitate to go to that party. Isn't that awesome? Why? He's the one who sought out Levi. He goes and hangs out with Levi's friends. See, doesn't that blow your concept of Jesus? I mean, even if you could imagine it, you could say, oh, well, okay, he had a purpose in calling Levi, so he made himself go out and reach Levi, but I don't think he would hang out with people like that. No! Levi throws a party, 
in Jesus' honor, guess what? Jesus is there. That's who Jesus hangs out with. But I want you to notice the offense now. We get to verse 30, and all of a sudden there's a shift here. Luke wants us to understand that not everybody's accepting of Jesus here. Not everybody is happy that Jesus is hanging out with these folks. There are some folks who are pretty upset, and they're the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes, what do you mean scribes? They're the lawyers of the law. They're the ones who, who write down the scriptures frequently. And the Pharisees, they're that religious sect that are very conservative, do all the right things, say all the right stuff, live the right way, dress the right way, and there they are. They are the fundamentalists of their day, reality. And so here they are. They see Jesus, probably they've been, of course you notice from the last time we were there, they're observing Jesus, they're watching every step he makes, so they probably see Jesus talking with Levi. That's not a cool thing to do, he's a tax collector. And then they see that Levi throws a party, and of all things, Jesus goes to the party. And they don't like that, and I want you to notice with me what it says in verse 30. And the scribes and Pharisees complained. You can almost hear their whispering lips. I can't believe he's doing that. Did you see where Jesus went? There he is. They complain against his disciples. So they're not just upset with Jesus. They're also upset with his disciples and saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Let me just stop for a moment and explain to you that word sinners. Basically, their thought was this. Here they are, they're the Pharisees, they're conservative, they dress the right way, they know the Bible, they live the Bible, they go beyond the Bible. They have all these rules and regulations. Do you understand? They had a rule for everything. They gave a tithe of everything. So here they are, and what they're doing is this. When they refer to someone as a sinner, that is basically a general connotation of anyone who doesn't live as they live. Do you understand what I'm saying? So anyone who is not like them is considered a what? Sinner. And here's what happens. If you don't live like they live, you weren't supposed to associate with them. So here's the two things they're upset with Jesus about. First of all, they could not accept the despised. I purposely chose that word. When you talk about the tax collectors, when you talk about the sinners... Here's how they viewed them. They despised them. They had no use for them. And they could not accept the despised. And they were pretty ticked off with Jesus because when Jesus eats with them, I want you to understand something. It's a little bit different now, you know, because we have cafeterias and we, you know, we're used to ha eating with people in establishments, but that doesn't mean anything. It meant something in their culture. See, in their culture, it expressed acceptance. When you ate with someone, you communicated to them acceptance. And so here's what's going on with these self-righteous moral people. They hated the despised, and so therefore they could not accept them. And so if Jesus is this great teacher, if Jesus is the Messiah, he shouldn't be hanging out and accepting the despised. You shouldn't hang out with those kind of people because they're despised. And what Jesus was doing is he wasn't just, just hanging out with them. He was sitting down to the same table 
and eating with them. Now let me just stop for a moment. So did you understand the sitting down to the table? Because this is how intimate it was. For you and I, when we, it, depending on the height of your kitchen table, like my kitchen table is right up to there. And so when you got your chair, you sit down, you sit down on your chair, and there's the table. You've got your fork and knife, and you're ready. Bring it on. That's an American, European concept of eating. That was not the concept back then. Their tables were low. Low. And probably in a great feast, they had lots of pillows, big fat pillows like you would have in your living room, laying around. And then what you would do is you would come in. I'm not going to do it because I probably can't get back up. Is you would lean on your side... And there would be somebody else right there. And, and, and you would be close to each other around this table. And so we're talking about getting in close proximity with these folks. Do you understand what it means then to be accepted? That's what Jesus was doing. And they couldn't accept them because they were written off. They could not accept the despised. Here's the other thing I want you to see about them. They stressed separation from the despised. They stressed separation from the despised. Here, here's, can I be honest with you? We get things messed up in the church a lot. I think we get this one messed up quite a bit. You know, as a young Christian, I remember being taught separation, that you shouldn't uh, smoke, chew, or date women who do. Do you know what I'm saying? I think dancing was in there too. So smoke, chew, and dance, and date women who do, whatever. So you were taught to, to, to give up all those bad friends and hang out with all the righteous people because you get tainted. You might get contaminated. You might become like them. And, and that's the attitude. You, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. problem is it's not in the Bible. What do you mean it's not in the Bible? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I tell you to separate yourself from immoral people. But he says this, but I'm not talking about people outside of the church. I'm talking about immoral people inside the church. Because he said, if you were to separate yourself, this is a George Cannon paraphrase, if you were to separate yourself from people outside of the church, you'd have to leave the planet. Isn't that cool? See, this is what the Pharisees were stressing. See, in order to remain righteous, in order to remain pure, you couldn't hang out with those despised people. You couldn't hang out with those tax collectors. You couldn't hang out with those sinners because you might get contaminated. You might become unclean. Now, you have to understand something. In their culture, being unclean was a significant thing. So they stress this separation. So when they're asking this question, why do you eat with them? What Jesus is doing is totally going against the grain of everything they taught. So let's notice how Jesus responds to them. And when he responds to them, he, he tells them his mission. And I think this is so wonderful. Look with me at verse 31 and 32. And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A couple things I want you to see there. First of all, Jesus is not concerned about who is righteous. 
That, you know what? That's the issue with self-righteous moral people is making sure that everybody's living up to a certain level. Isn't that true? I mean, they're concerned about how you're living. They're concerned about whether you're doing all the right stuff and you're carrying all the right stuff and are you going to the right places. See, this is the issue. Jesus isn't interested in the appearance stuff, folks. Jesus is not concerned about who's righteous in their actions. This is what he said. You look, I didn't, you know, as a physician, a physician isn't there for the healthy people. A physician is there for who? Sick. Not here for you righteous folks. You don't even know you're sick. He goes on and he says this. Next point I want you to see. He came to reach people who need to change. Repentance is talking about change, folks. Look at what he says in verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous. First of all, you can't call them. You can't call them. They don't, they don't see any need for change. They're, they've arrived. They're okay. But he says, look, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, to change. I've come to call people who need to change to change. Not self-righteous people. See, Jesus didn't come to reach people like that. Because they can't be reached. They think they're okay. But the reality is, the reality is, he came to reach those, the despised. Here, let me give you the conclusion. First one is a personal question. You might be here and you might be saying, well, you know, George, I know I'm not self-righteous because you don't know what I've done. I know what I've done. There is no way. And here's the question for you. Do you think God has written you off? Do you think God has written you off? Think about it for a moment, folks. It's real easy to get in that mode because when you think about your life, you think about something. When you define, if we were to say it privately, because probably most of us wouldn't do it publicly, if we would say to you, what one thing defines you? And, and, and as I ask that question, you've got this problem, this sin, this mistake that you made. It comes right up to the forefront of your mind. And for some reason, that issue is what you think God sees. And so therefore you say, there's no way God could accept me because I did this. And as you think about it, the question is, do you think God has written you off? That's a good question. Probably somebody here is feeling that way. Probably somebody here is wrestling with that, that God has written you off because of some stuff. Let me explain something to you. He hasn't. And just like he would reach out to Levi, he's reaching out to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't write anybody off. We write people off. Jesus doesn't write anybody off. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he died for every one of us. He gave his life freely for every one of us. Do you think he would write you off? That you're the exception? You're not. Which brings me to my next question. Let's move it beyond the personal to the general. Have you written people off? Ah, uh, they're helpless. There's no way they would ever come to Jesus. We, we write people off real quickly, don't we? Do we write people off? Do you, are you writing someone off? Well, you know, is there some guy or gal at work that just irritates you to no end? 
And the last thing you want to see is them become a Christian and think about spending eternity with them. Who are you writing off? Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.